I'm sure they saw us coming, the alien technologies officer persisted. Did you see that ring, sir? The silvery image of the enemy ship almost filled the viewer. It showed as a broad, wide ring encircling a cylindrical axis, like a mechanical pencil floating inside a platinum bracelet. A finned craft projected from the pointed end of the axial section. Angular letters ran down the axis, totally unlike the dots and commas of Kazinti script. Of course I see it, said the captain. It was rotating when we first picked them up. It stopped when we got within 200,000 miles, and it hasn't moved since. The captain flicked his tail back and forth, gently, thoughtfully, like a pink lash. You worry me, he commented. If they know we're here, why haven't they tried to get away? Are they sure they can beat us? He whirled to face the AT officer. Should we be running? No, sir. I don't know why they're here, but they can't have anything to be confident about. That's one of the most primitive spacecraft I've ever seen. He moved his claw about on the screen, pointing as he talked. The outer shell is an iron alloy. The rotating ring is a method of imitating gravity by centripetal force, so they don't have the gravity planer. In fact, they're probably using a reaction drive. This is Dark and Stormy Nights, the podcast where we read the first page, and only the first page, of every novel ever written. I'm your host, Ben Blackberg. And I'm your other host, Ben Levate. And tonight, we're talking about The Man Kazin Wars, Volume 1, by Larry Niven, uh, published in 1966. And our guest tonight is Chris Van Dyke. So, Chris, uh, I'm sure everyone reading this first page wonders, did you grow up with cats? I grew up with so many cats, yes. And I've got three cats in my house right now. Cats everywhere. And all of them whip their tails around like a pink lash. I mean, we Perfect all... Perfect description. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that is the words that come to mind when you think about cats, of course. Uh, or a mechanical pencil, but... Hmm. Uh, but seriously, have you... Uh, do either you, uh, Chris or Vin, have any prior relationship with the man Kazin Wars or Larry Niven more generally? Only the, the same relationship that I think everyone of roughly our generation has which is seeing the wall of them in the science fiction section with all of those extremely interesting covers and then never picking one up ever i actually read a bunch of larry niven in high school when i was just going through the science fiction section of my public library um i think i read all the ring world books and then i read some book that was set in like some big cube shaped city where elite people live somewhere. I don't remember anything about any of them, but I read hmm. about six Larry Newman books. Um, I couldn't tell you anything about ring world other than it's set on a ring world, which I think you probably know from the title. Yeah. Uh, I also have that vague sense of Larry Niven as a person. Uh, although I think sometimes I can't remember which one is him and which one is uh, Jerry Purnell. The sort of like names that go through like when you when you hear uh, old people talk about how much better science fiction was back in the uh, the old days of the 60s. Like Robert Silverberg. You're like, yeah, I know the name. And I think maybe I read a book by him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I learned it. I did look up his bibliography. And that man wrote a lot of books. Good Lord. Yes. And I, I, I'm just checking now. Uh, the, the the Man Kazin Wars, uh, the first volume uh, was actually published in 1988. It looks like so this this okay. short story predates the first volume i think 
I don't know, Vin, do you have any information about that? I also uh, did a little bit of a Wikipedia dive uh, because I had always assumed that these were a series of novels when in fact they are a series of short story collections written over uh, almost 60 years now. And this first one, uh, which is called The Warriors, was written by Larry Niven in 1966. The second one, Iron, uh, by Paul Anderson, was written in 1988. So as far as I can tell, and again, we do minimal research for this show, Larry Niven wrote a short story in 66, and then 22 years later, several people decided that they were going to turn it into a franchise, and then they did, and they wrote uh, 15 volumes of it, 15 volumes of short stories. So they slept on it for 20 years and then sort of went crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, I mean, if, if it didn't happen in the, uh, in the late 80s, uh, this would be, uh, I'm trying to find some way not to use the word catnip, but uh, <laughs> this would be tailor-made for today's internet youth. Mm. Like, like furry, furry cat people in space. Like, what could be better to cosplay or go to conventions as? Yeah, people talk a lot about the influence of Disney's Robin Hood on early freedom, but I really wonder how much these these book covers played into it. <laughs> what I haven't seen the the covers of this off though. Oh, you just that, uh, Google them right now because okay, like there's a reason that these things like went so far and were on the bookshelves for so long. And it, it's mostly these covers, I happen to believe. I just Googled Disney Robin Hood. It was 1973. So maybe it was influenced mm. um, by the Larry Nivens franchise. I, I almost think we shouldn't look at the covers and we should just pitch our own stories in this universe. Oh, wait, the cover's right behind Ben. What am I doing? That's, that's, I just did an image search and I see that. Whoa. Yeah, that's, that's a modern take. That's um, an intense looking cat, man. But there are a lot of like very 70s fully painted... Uh, interpretations of these including some like really cool stylized ones like the cover for volume two is really neat i love these old sci-fi covers yeah man i want to say i feel like i saw one with a scantily clad cat lady but i would not be (laughs) actually (laughs) odds are if you didn't i would be highly surprised there there seem to be very few uh ladies represented among the kazin uh, except for, uh, I see a cover for Houses of the Kazinti, which features a human dude, a shirtless cat dude, and an entirely naked cat lady. Oh, I do find, if for some reason I do a sort of image search for Man Kazin with nothing else, the first thing I get is a picture of F. Scott Fitzgerald. So there might be some deeper conspiracy going on here in the literary world. <laughs> All right, Man Kazin Wars well, 3, okay. I'm do, do you think, now. like, uh, uh, there was that news about John Steinbeck's werewolf novel? Do you think there's a, a Fitzgerald uh, space cat novel? <laughs> the Lost Manuscript. That, that is, uh, the, the book that I just found is The Best of All Possible Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a best of volume, uh, which is fun in itself to think of, that there are so many short stories in so many volumes that they made a best of. Uh, and I, I urge you not to only look at the cover, but to look at the tagline on this book. Mm-hmm. I just saw that. Chris, would you like to read the tagline on this cover when you spot it? Those Kazin just don't know when they're licked. Oh, <laughs> the slash fiction just writes itself. <laughs> Especially with that. Uh, what? Oh, my goodness. That 
you get full nipples on that thing. Yeah, that's that, yeah. that's one of the, the 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 classic like how do we know it's a, a woman alien? Like, let's give it nipples. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and very spherical breasts for a cat. I don't know. Yeah. Huh. Uh, I don't. I, I I don't know about you, but this you know I, I feel like this joke gets made about uh, animation a lot. But uh, as a, a parent of a young child, uh, sometimes when I'm reading. Uh, children's books to henry i will find like there's some depiction of like oh here's a building and it's like coded as a boy and here's another building that's coded as a girl i'm just like none of this makes any sense like Mm. (laughs) like, does anyone else anyway speaking of not making sense Mm -hmm. uh what did you all think of this first page now now that we've confessed to not knowing the books at all uh (laughs) having only some memory or awareness of larry niven uh, who I'm going to say is dead. I could just look that up. Uh, like the internet says, <laughs> like, I just wonder, like, who- I, think so. I think I remember him passing away, but then also that could have been Robert Silverberg and, <laughs> or any other number of the sort of the, the silver age post Heinlein, um, generation. No, it looks like he's still kicking. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll edit that out then. Right. No. <laughs> um, so yes, this first page. Uh, we've already pointed out the pink lash as a nice little bit of description. In fact, like the first bit of description of what we get inside this ship that we're we're in. Yeah, it's it's a very it's a sci-fi page. <laughs> like you you could show this to pretty much anyone, and they would identify it as being a page of science fiction. Yeah, because I wouldn't say it sounds like a parody of itself but it definitely sounds it's a sort of the cliche if you wanted to represent this as a sci-fi book like with all just solid all capital letters that sounded like old school sci-fi um i did i did like the mechanical pencil inside of a bracelet that seemed like a nice uh so weird nice metaphor. yeah i was like it's interesting with the time too like he's describing just the ring shape it's like they must not have artificial gravity like today i think if you describe that station that is such just sort of a standard idea of artificial gravity you wouldn't bother but i guess this was you know you sort of get that you know, early early idea of ring ring gravity um stated to you whereas today it's sort of just an assumption that's what space stations look like mm. in the sci-fi world that is a good point like 1966 uh like there, there, there there's definitely some ring stations uh i mean it's you know been 30 years of pulp sci-fi magazines with covers of various types of space stations but like the semi-realistic uh ringed uh mm-hmm. spinning space station might not be all that common uh yeah this is this is two years before 2001 came out <laughs> which of, of course we all describe uh 2001 as uh the movie with uh uh, some mechanical pencil floating inside a platinum bracelet. Mm-hmm. It is a, a fun, fun choice of, uh, of nouns there. Yeah. It's, it's weirdly unevocative, like takes a lot of work to have sort of that, that level of like lack of emotional weight. <laughs> like those are not two things that are ever on the same desk. Like, sir, it's like a giant mechanical pencil. Like, this is why we need more poets on our ship, Captain. Yeah, yeah. I, it is also a classic, like, like you know, a hundred years in the future, but the person who's writing it is, you know, from 
1930s and he's like a mechanical pencil <laughs> like that's something yeah. that's something that everyone knows and will always know it was like a giant slide rules that slipped through the outer space hmm. yeah well since we're into the text let's hit this first line as we like to do uh which is i'm sure they saw us coming the alien technologies officer persisted this is one of those lines that isn't like particularly special or great but is doing some work which i appreciate um because a it's telling us that there's such a thing as an alien technologies officer uh but also it's throwing us into the action in a way that tells us what happened directly before because it says that he persisted which is an interesting way of saying yeah he's been he's been pushing on this yeah, no, actually, I do. I mean, as a, as prose goes in terms of the, the functional, the the storytelling, they have said of jumping right into a dialogue um, that's in the middle like that is a uh, yeah. I mean, he actually he does a lot of sort of world building just in that first page without having to set out any exposition. Mm-hmm. Just in terms of there's a bunch of names, but it all sort of makes sense. Um, so it's yeah. I mean, well, being still really light on the catness of the whole, like it's not very alien at all which I think is part of what he's trying to get across, but it doesn't like, there's not a lot of hook there. Hmm. Yeah. You mean, uh, not very, not very alien in the sense that like, uh, the first thing we learn is that there's like an officer, uh, and then pretty soon we learn there's a captain. And so like, we don't know exactly who's talking and they have claws and, uh, tails. Yeah. There's a little physiology, but there's no culture. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, it's very much so like a human crew, except they're giant cats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Which again seems very sort of classic old school sci-fi. It's like, you know, give them a bump on their nose, give them a tail. Yeah. Um, Whereas you compare to like like a Werner Vinge who would like goes through a lot of effort to place alien cultures in like very familiar human style like tropes. And like familiar settings, but makes them seem so alien in juxtaposition. If you've ever had like uh, a fire on the deep or a deepness in the sky. He does a really good job at that. Uh, uh, I haven't read those, but I've always wanted to read the first pages. Mm. Uh, I'll say that. Uh, but uh, it is uh, it is curious. I mean, one thing that jumped out at me when I first read this mm. is it, it's funny that we're talking about like difference and similarity, uh, which is like not only sort of a classic uh, interplay of uh, golden and silver age science fiction, uh, mm-hmm. but I mean, probably actually just of science fiction itself, you know, like people have defined science fiction as like the introduction of a new thing into a known situation. So here we have like a known situation of like, it's a naval crew. Uh, they just happen to be cat people. Mm-hmm. And like, maybe that means that, uh, I don't know. I don't have cats. Uh, they, I don't know. I guess they, they don't have a, 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 a spaceship style head, but they have some sort of artificial gravity, uh, litter box or something <laughs> like, like there, there could be some change, right. That's just like, Oh, like they're, they're a naval organization, but, uh, if one of them shows weakness, they, you know, fight at midnight like on a on a fence somewhere yeah nobody can ever get through the newspaper because they're constantly curling up on each other's copy of it it's just you're like 
damn it, can't someone get through a day without knocking a cup of tea off the counter? Right, right, right. Like they're they're in the middle of the battle and someone has their hand on the keyboard and then like someone else, <laughs> yeah. some other officer comes on the keyboard. You're like, I'm trying to... He just puts their whole ass on it. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I can't fire the torpedoes. Ensign Whiskers is in the way. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, so like there, there could be some like uh, some uh, some interesting aspect of that difference uh, throwing into relief what we already know about naval organizations and whatnot. Um, uh, Definitely comes across through the subtlety of the cover art, which is a bunch of cats with like giant guns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice uh, targeting uh, computers. Uh, but one thing that did jump out at me was that this one line: uh, "Angular letters ran down the axis." totally unlike the dots and commas of Kazinti's script. Uh, and what I wanted to point out was that the dots and commas part, like, you could have that general idea that, like, these Kazin are uh, observing some new aliens to them by just saying angular letters ran down the axis, totally unlike Kazinti's script. Mm-hmm. But to throw in that one little detail that, like, Kazinti's script looks like dots and commas was, like, uh, like... Like a, a a little touch. I don't I don't know that I want to uh, stress this point, but like it it's almost like a little bit of realism. It's just like oh, here's a little detail that has no plot significance or uh, really any other meaning, uh, except I just want you to know that like I've thought about what Kazinti's script looks like. Mm. Although it's kind of weird because like I presume that the Kazin don't think of their script as being dots and commas, and we're supposed to be in their point of view right now. Yeah, particularly the commas, like the dots, but commas are very much a an English language punctuation too. That was a little, but um, yeah. But I, mean, I did like the you know the specificity of script is always something as a word nerd that I like to see in my stories. But uh, mm. that's the, the the shadow of Papa Tolkien looming large. It's like, well, I've I've developed my alien species, but now I need their language, or the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> now that is a good point. Like we do have kind of a like. We are in the alien spaceship, uh, and yet everything that we hear is like translated into language that we can understand. You know, mechanical pencil, yeah. dots and commas. Now, especially like you said, or like I always find it interesting with sci-fi writers who, in many ways, can almost like project themselves into the future. But it's interesting to see what bits of the present they just can't get past. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, like like the mechanical pencil, like you're thinking of zero gravity, but for some reason. You're still imagining three thousand years in the future. People have little metal. Is it that they? Is it a reference for them, or is it merely that's just the reference for the audience? And you almost have some like meta narrator going. I could, you know, I could tell you what the man Kazin write with, but you'd have no idea what that is. So let's just go with mechanical pencil, so you know what I'm talking about. Mm. Yeah, it has has that 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 sense of like if you're on a, a fantasy world and someone says like like ow my Achilles tendon, like you don't say like wait a minute, are you saying that? the Greek mythological character of Achilles existed in this world and had the same story. Like you just say like, okay, we're getting this translated into English from that uh, alien language. Mm. I did when someone was reading one of my fantasy novels, they did point I used the term Luddite and I eventually, I did take it out because it was so specific that it did seem to have such a, you know, contemporary connotation that was so related to our world that it was distracting. Um, but yeah, things like Achilles standing like what, yeah, do you have to come up with an entire... I mean, that's always what, when you get into fantasy and sci-fi. Where do you draw the line? Because complete realism, you'd be writing it in an entirely different language. And just that would be that. Yeah, there's a value in having something that's resonant with your audience. Yeah. 
Ow, he said, grabbing that tendon that connected back to the heel to the top of his leg. Hmm. <laughs> uh, she hit him right in the throat on his uh, orb of Sir Kratos. <laughs> yeah, you just say Adam's apple. It's okay. Or like, I mean, it's also fun when you look at like, I mean, there are a lot of words like Luddite, but like, there's a lot of words that like, we don't even realize come from very specific history and place names. You know, it'd be great to be like, like the pirate took a drink of sherry and you're like, wait a minute. Are you saying that there's like a fantasy Portugal with a a town called Jerez? (laughs) Yeah. Like most of your booze is just out of the question. (laughs) Yeah. They cannot drink champagne or scotch or definitely not bourbon because it can't be brewed in Kentucky. Mm hmm. And then with their catnip cocktails. Yeah. So are we to understand that the captain has a pink tail that we're supposed to be reading here? I was taking because otherwise a pink lash is not a very like, I don't think you whip around a pink lash any differently than you would a blue lash. But uh, yeah, like I said, if this is the, the early furry inspiration, I can definitely see the, the anime series with that pink cat person. Hmm. See, that, that's uh, if, if I were sent back in time, Mm-hmm. <laughs> but for some reason could only uh influence larry niven uh <laughs> like a really wonky time machine uh it's like you can kill your grandfather or you can edit <laughs> the warriors by larry niven uh i would uh, i think i would just leave that sentence as like the captain flicked his tail back and forth gently gently thoughtfully i might even cut out one of those either gently or thoughtfully and just like like a pink lash like you know what? I know what a tail is. I don't need a, I don't need a simile. Uh, mm-hmm. to- the mechanical pencil and bracelet at least is, is telling you what sort of like space station you're looking at. Whereas yeah, a, a tail is lash like, but without needing the description because it's tail. Yeah. Also a lash is neither gentle nor thoughtful. <laughs> it could be thoughtful. I suppose you could be mm-hmm. thoughtfully lashing someone because this, entire organization based around that concept this is for your edification Uh, yeah it is i mean considering that that is one of the few bits of description we get of what the inside of this ship like uh if you remember ender's game which i'm sure everyone uh, oh yeah i haven't but go on oh uh i tend to miss a lot of the key classics after the hobbit that's the book i've read the most i think i've read it about 10 or 12 times uh after after some of uh, uh c.s lewis books uh that is the book that i uh abhor the most <laughs> as a uh just from a moral standpoint but um we will get into that uh on our i think on the record i'm for the author i love the book if i can make such a distinction in today's day and age um but it, so it begins with uh, a classic like one of the things they tell you to avoid which is like just uh unattributed dialogue mm-hmm. just between two people and there's a sense of that here like even though we get description like what really comes through here is uh an officer and a captain having a disagreement or like trying to come to some agreement uh, about something like there's so little description of uh what they look like and what their space looks like you know mm-hmm. Like, it, it's hard for me to read this, especially after looking at the cover and not just see sort of like a somewhat generic spaceship. Like, on the cover that I'm looking at, the uh, anniversary cover, the Kazin are wearing, like, generic uh, cat space helmets. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't think I need to describe cat space helmets to anyone. I think I think we all know yeah. uh, 
you know, it it's just like hard to get a faceplate over that muzzle. But otherwise, yeah, like especially given given our perspective looking back, like I'm just picturing everything as being Wing Commander. Yeah. Oh, you're right. That's what. <laughs> okay. Which this must have been influential on. Yeah, this has to be the primary, the primary source. Yeah. It also reminds me there was a C.S. Lewis did like a series of not C.S. C.S. Lewis. That's because Ben Ben just mentioned C.S. Lewis. Um, Chris Claremont um, did a series of sci-fi novels. <laughs> Those are not the same. <laughs> they're they're so similar. The X-Men and Narnia are basically the same place. Come on. Um, Chris Claremont did a series of sci-fi novels in the '90s, which had like some cat people in space as like a race that encounter humans. I'm, I remember like absolutely hating the first one and never reading the rest, but um, mm. it sort of reminded me of that as well. I don't know if the 30 years later, everyone was just like those cat people got to do something with them. Let's make a video game series and uh, I'll stop writing the X-Men and read a soft core pornographic sci-fi novel. Mm. Well, of course, Chris Claremont would do that. Like all the other members of the Inklings uh, literary group. Uh <laughs> Uh, I'm just I've, I've just really very tempted to go over to Wikipedia and just like uh, edit some things uh, into our history. Um, when Tolkien and Chris Claremont really argued over the the level that allegory should take place in any comics, which is why <laughs> right, right. There, <laughs> Tol- Tolkien's books he was definitely representing Malcolm X right. um, as you know, the, Malcolm, why, why um, there's there's no there's no talk of God in uh, the X Men universe uh, because you can't you don't want to represent what you're already allegorizing. Okay. Um, You're so angry when Nightcrawler became a priest. <laughs> uh, Chris, I, just, it just occurred to me that you would be uh, an excellent person to ask this to, but um, oh. like, there's a long tradition of animal people in like medieval uh, travelogues and bestiaries. Uh, correct? There are, yes. Um, a lot of dog-headed people out there in the in the old cannons yeah like it's funny because like we're talking about this like oh like of course you know like this book was influential on wing commander and you know uh etc but like maybe niven feels like he doesn't need to get into this very much uh well partly because he's like just sprinkling in some things that will then like be revealed um you know it's kind of spoiled for us at reading it as a book rather than as a Mm -hmm. short story in a magazine but like maybe you don't need that much description for cat people because if you say cat people to someone, they know what you're talking about, like through all sorts of other media. Or just the words cat person. Yeah. It's easy to just picture a werewolf and make a substitution. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and like it is at least to me kind of clear from this page that uh, what he's trying to do is paint the Kazin as the like he's trying to lull us into the or you know set up the idea that they're in the place of humans here in terms of like our perspective characters looking from the outside at what is obviously going to be a human ship that is uh technologically backwards to them right we're starting with their sort of pov as them as sort of the, the starting as a protagonist i don't know where the book goes from there but yeah. we're, we're beginning sort of on their side yeah an inverted right. first contact this is the like, like, like we need to uh, escape our world before nuclear war. Like we'll go to this third planet from the sun called Earth. Mm. I mean, the man, the man did write sixty novels, so I think he also was, you know, he was a functional. He's that old school functional sci-fi genre writer. I think 
the man's also cranking these books out. Hmm. I don't know, you know, whether he was going back and taking out all the pink lashes or is just like, all right, books done off to the editor. Yeah. Ring world book two. Let's go. Hmm. I do want to, uh, this just, just remind me of one other thing. And I guess, you know, I am, uh, vaguely curious of like why this has gone on for so long. Uh, this, this series, how many, I was just Googling, I was, I was seeing like book, like 15 or how many of them? Yep. There are 15 collections. The most recent, um, let's see, volume 15 was published in 2019. And there's a, I think an individual story that came out last year called freedom by Hal Kolbach and Jessica Q Fox. Was this like sort of turned into its own like sort of HP Lovecraft expanded? Like, or is it just like lots of people just write these stories with cat people in them? Like, are they open for submissions? Can I write a story for volume 16? I need to Google this now because I want to write. And I suspect you could. Awesome. Like only, only maybe a quarter of these are Larry Niven. Right. It's not just him and whoever his like co-wrote guy who did ring world with so it's a lot of other writers yeah. are playing around like he did one and then everyone else decided to run with it and he was like oh i guess i can also run with this and make a bunch of money is my assumption for, for being like a 30 year series with 15 books i've never heard of it until today so i don't know i mean not hmm. i'm not saying just because i haven't heard of it doesn't mean it's not out but I, I had no idea i mean had you shown me the cover it's maybe i've seen it at some point but i did not know that there were 15 books about yeah. like warring cat people out there that's interesting because this was like when I was growing up, like you go to in, into any Walden books, you'd see like the block of Mancazin Wars books. And I wonder if that was just like a regional or a local thing, because they were they were one of those things like uh, like Necroscope in the horror section, Brian Lumley, where like you would just see these striking covers on the shelf every single time you were in there. Like ba- Battlefield Earth Volume Twenty Seven, and there's like sixteen thousand hardcover copies in there. Hmm. But maybe it was just, I don't know what West Coast. Maybe it was, I just got all the Scientology science fiction instead. And that was mm, that could be. I I do wonder. I mean, it is curious thinking about like uh, who who these books sell to. Uh, again, uh, assuming that they sell because uh, publishers are uh, only only interested in money, uh, hmm. but. Um, I wonder, I just saw something about like, uh, were these, I guess, uh, were these published by Bain books? I think they're, yes. Uh, so like, like Bain, Bain is known for, among other things, their, uh, sort of military science fiction interest. Um, right. Yeah. I've got a few of their books and they're all military sci-fi. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'll say one of the other things they're, they're known for recently is a, uh, kerfluffle, uh, to put it nicely over, uh, a forum that they ran or sort of under their, their aegis where some people were, uh, I can't quite remember. I don't want to slander anyone, but I, I think it was racism. Uh, but it could, I was getting with the racism, but I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, so yeah, uh, yeah. sexism is, is pretty prevalent these days yeah, that, too. That's that yeah, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so like, like Bane books, uh, like definitely publishes some left wing authors I know, but like mm-hmm. certainly has, uh, align in sort of right wing and or military science fiction and whether you can have left wing military science fiction is an interesting question but mm. one for another podcast probably um, are you guys aware of niven's law mm, uh, sounds familiar so apparently larry niven has gotten himself a law um and it's 
there is no cause so right that one cannot find a fool following it, which uh, definitely makes a lot of sense in the context of lines of military science fiction. I mean, just I mean, looking at the not having read these books, these covers just are what I think of when I think of like what the sad puppy contingent wants out of science fiction, whether like all this woke fiction of today and all this social consciousness. What I want is a book with guns and a cat person on the front of it. Mm-hmm. Again, these might be fantastic, but I'm not saying it. But this it does strike me. This is the sort of book that a certain person laments that you don't see more of these days, <laughs> uh, even, even as they. They go up to uh, the fifteenth volume in the series. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Niven was an advisor to Ronald Reagan on the creation of the Strategic Defense Initiative anti-missile policy. So that's where Star Wars came from, Larry Niven. Uh... <laughs> Apparently. Uh, on that note, it's looking like we are pushing on time. Uh, oh, anybody have wait, any I, final I, thoughts? Ben has a final I, thought. I do have this one. Uh, and I, I would I, I uh, urge the reader to do some research on this themselves. Uh, I was trying to remember which classic science fiction author was associated with this idea to reduce medical costs by uh, spreading rumors uh, among minorities that the hospitals would illegally harvest their organs. Whoa! As opposed to, I guess, legally harvest their organs. But uh, a, a quick Google says that it was, in fact, Larry Niven. Um, Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well then. Uh, so like, Larry Niven, problematic guy. Cool. All right. So my reference of the sad puppies may not be as far off. Um, I mean, he is unfortunately of that generation of white male author that have often, uh, in retrospect, not had the best politics, or in current spec, not in retrospect. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but you know, we can all we can all grow uh, and change as long as we're alive. Um, and he is still alive. We figured that out earlier. <laughs> yeah, there's still time. Get them in a copy of an N.K. Jemison novel. We can save them. Hmm. All right. <laughs> but like, I mean, besides, I guess, sorry, Vin, you were summing up. Uh, <laughs> what, what do we take away from this? Would we want to read the second page? I mean, it's a short story. Depending on I mean, I mean, I do like occasionally picking up just an old boilerplate, you know, just complete dyed in the wool genre paperback um old school sci-fi or fantasy book which you know has questionable literary merit but as a great read so I, yeah i might I, I yeah i could definitely go for a book with some cats fighting in outer space at least one. i don't know if i'd read 15 um, yeah. but especially as vince said short story yeah i'd probably see where it goes yeah i have like uh, or, or, uh i have a real problem in that like i like to complete things mm. uh so i would like <laughs> it's gonna I, be a, I, a rough show for you <laughs> <laughs> It's a dumb podcast there. Just read. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, like, I, I do have a, a morbid curiosity about like what happens after this, because like, so uh, there's a great, uh, uh, there's a great short story maybe by Murray Leinster uh, called First Contact. Mm-hmm. You guys know the story? Probably. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's one of those uh, where you probably know it. Basically, uh, humans meet uh, aliens uh, and they don't know both sides don't know if the other one means peace or not right. uh, and so they go back and forth like should we attack should we like try to trace them back to their planet of origin and then destroy the planet like uh, or like how do we how do we safely exchange information in a world without trust or in a universe without trust and like I, I just wonder like having read that great 
uh, but also like interestingly problematic uh, short story. Uh, like I, I just wonder what this would add to that genre of like, okay, we meet a different alien species. Like, like what do you do? Do you fight? Do you make peace? Do you, like, do you do both? Like, I don't know. But between like first contact and enemy mine, uh, I wonder what this would really add to that. Which means I'm probably going to read at least the short story <laughs> to find out. Now I like it on so many modern sci-fi, we've drifted much more into sort of first contact is going to be so alien. Like, how do we know the thing which is, you know, we almost can barely not comprehend. And now I want a more sort of modern take on it's first contact and it's just cat people. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like they actually land tomorrow and it's just a bunch of cat people. And we're like, what would that do? <laughs> so like, uh, they, they, they wake up like a, a, a linguist and they say like, we need your help. Mm. But instead of like weird squid ink creatures from Arrival, it's yeah. cat people. <laughs> Just cat people. And we need an animal behaviorist then. ASAP. <laughs> well, Chris, I, I think we have uh, an idea for the next uh, anthology from Skullgate. <laughs> yeah, we do. Uh, which segues so us. Actually, I, do, I do have an idea. I, do, I wanted to do a, a liberal military sci-fi. Um, <laughs> I had an idea. I wanted to get a whole bunch of completely liberal you know, veterans that I know to do like a science fiction anthology, but from like a queer left winging, you know, I used to be in the military. Now I'm not, um, see where that would go. That sounds really so, good. See if a uh, bear will print that and Larry Niven mm-hmm. will give us a blurb. Yeah, I guess on that note, uh, where can people <laughs> find your stuff? Uh, my stuff can be found at www.skullgatemedia.com. Um, we're also on Twitter as at Skullgate Media. Um, I have my own writing website, um, which is just cvandyke.com. And there's links to the books that I published through Skullgate and some of my own stuff there, too. Thanks for joining us on Dark and Stormy Nights. I've been your host, Ben Blackberg, and you can find me on Twitter at InCatastrophe. And I've been your other host, Finn LeBate. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Reciprocity. You can find the games that I write at mrreciprocity.itch.io. And you can find my other podcast, The Chimera, at thechimera.space, on Twitter at ChimeraPod, or on your podcast app of choice. For show updates, follow Dark Knights Reads on Twitter, or visit darknightsreads.com. And we'll meet you back here next week. <laughs>